Are you struggling to make your first 100K or next? Are you pretending you're successful but barely getting by? Are you tired of comparing yourself to millionaires and billionaires who make it look so easy? Welcome to First 100K, the number one entrepreneur voice in America. I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like how to make your first $100,000, because I believe this is where 90% of entrepreneurs get stuck. And I tackle the mental game of entrepreneurship that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are successful entrepreneurs who share their mistakes, their number one fears, their daily habits, and their superpowers that push them over the 100K mark. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a 10-time failed entrepreneur and the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida. This show was created for you, the entrepreneur who's pushing to break through the elusive 100K milestone. Wherever you are in your business, you're just 100K away. Today, our featured guest is Greg Ross Monroe. He is the CEO and founder of SourceToad, an award-winning software development firm specializing in hospitality and travel technology. Greg has been coding since he was eight years old. He's a third-generation programmer, which is crazy to even think that's a thing. He's a frequent judge and mentor for startup competitions and hackathons and treats SourceToad, his company, like it's one of them. Greg spends most of his days making sure clients are happy and programmers have plenty of snacks. I get that. So you can find Greg at sourcetoad.com. That is sourcetoad.com. Greg, welcome to the show. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Um, well, thanks for having me. Um, I, uh, I don't think there are a whole lot of gaps there, man. I am... Um... I, I spend most of my days just making sure the clients and programmers are happy and, um, and the occasional project manager, but they're, they're much more normal, so a little easier to, um, to handle them. Yeah, um, good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one thing that shows up for me immediately in what you just said there, leadership looks like, like, like Startup Nation, when you get to the top of your company and you start to scale it and you build that team underneath you and you start outsourcing to them all your weaknesses and you stick to your superpower, we're going to get into it with Greg, find out what his superpower is. What's left for you as CEO of the company and founder is to show up and get them what they need to do their job better, faster, and cheaper. Greg? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Um, I would. I mean, I think that most of the time what you're trying to do is um, in leadership is, 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 a, is a service position, is, um, is a position of service to the people who work for you or the people who are underneath you. Uh, those, those people are, um, you know, coming in and working for you every single day or they're coming to work for your company or working on whatever your goals or objectives are. And as a result, you owe them something. And mm -hmm. that is to be their servant. And like mm -hmm. servant leadership is like, is, is a concept that's been around for a long time, but um, you know, it, it is, uh, I do what I do almost as much for my clients as I do for the people who work for me. And um, I think that can really show if you're, if you're spending the time really trying to help these guys, um, uh, trying to help them grow in their careers, trying to help them grow in themselves and, uh, and basically not just unblocking them in a kind of project management sense, but allowing them to, to be all they can be. 
I love that, right? And, and I love where you just went, right? Because you know, personally, I'm a man of faith. We may have some difference in our belief systems. But what you just said, servant leadership, you're right. It's been around for over 2,000 years. Like it is, it's a biblical principle, right? To show up as the servant, like Jesus Christ was the servant leader, you know, personified. So like I connect the two, like bringing your faith into your business and stop being bipolar about everything. Like if, if you believe like one of your values, your core values is to be a servant leader, bring that into your business and, and be unapologetic about it. So Startup Nation, I love Greg just went there. Greg, take a minute before we get into the hardcore content of entrepreneurship, take a minute and share with us something personal about you that very few people in your business life know. Um, I'm not sure that there's, there's too much I don't share with them. I'm uh, pretty transparent. Um, we have the kind of, we kind of, the kind of office where, you know, I bring my dogs in, um, you know, I, I, uh, uh, my wife comes in and works in the office sometimes. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we drink beer together and we play laser tag. I'm sure there's something, but, um, I don't really have a lot of time to be, uh, What's maybe one thing you haven't shared with them? Something you've held back because maybe you thought it wouldn't make you look good or avoid looking bad. Or okay, something. I, I mean, I, I definitely have a few things like that um, of where uh, you know once or twice, uh, not so much recently, but definitely in the past um, when payroll was pretty was going to be tough at one point. Um, I knew that we'd be able to do it. You know, doing things like. Um, uh, I haven't done anything as risky or crazy as go to a casino, but I have, I have, uh, I have made payroll by 12 hours. And sometimes I have, uh, the worst thing I ever did is I took money out of, um, the fund for my wedding that I was uh, planning to, to make payroll. I, I literally put it back like five days later, but, um, at the time, if I told anybody that would have freaked them out pretty badly. Are you kidding me? Especially no. your wife. Jeez, yeah. well, bro, that's awesome, man. The wife you know is okay with it as well. So. Startup Nation, this is this is what we're talking about. I'm so glad I just dug into that question with you, Greg, because you just you just shared something, man, right? That vulnerability of building a company and being there for your team to pay their their salaries, right? Because they need, they have bills to pay. They have their personal yeah. lives. They're, they're raising families. And as a good leader, like you're like, I'm going to sacrifice my wedding fund, right? My marriage fund to make sure that they don't have to sacrifice in their life. That's what leadership looks like. All right, let's get down to business. My audience loves context, Greg. Uh, approximately gross revenue. How much did your business do in the last 12 months? Uh, Five million ish, probably. Congratulations. That's freaking exciting, brother. Yeah. And uh, what are you on track for in the next 12 months? Um, well, uh, a lot of things would, uh, it would depend on some of our strategy, but we plan on doubling in the next 10 months. In the next ah, 10 months. So exciting. That is, man, I love it. You know, you and I go back for years uh, here in Tampa and I've watched you've grown. You've watched me stumble a lot and hopefully I've grown a little bit as well. So, you know, I just love that. I love seeing other brothers in the fight, in the game of entrepreneurship winning and you're winning. All right. How long did it take you to make your first 100 K? Um, I actually, I went back to my accounting, um, uh, to open up QuickBooks, ran some reports, I made a spreadsheet, so I have some relatively disturbing numbers. Um, I like disturbing. I, I, so this is this is our, my uh, ten years at Solstoad. So um, I started the company in two thousand eight. Great year to start a company. 
Um, and uh, so in September, it'll be 10 years. So um, Got it. I had a pretty good set of things to com compare by. Mm -hmm. The first $100,000 in revenue took 806 days. <laughs> 2.2 years. Yeah. It's Got it. Pretty bad. I love how specific that is. Startup nation, nothing happens overnight that is of value, right? So if you're going to build a sustainable, scalable company like Greg is doing, get to that million mark, two million, five million. It took him two and a half years of fighting and scraping to, to do payroll. That's what yeah. it looks like. It looks like sacrifice. What shows up for you in that, Greg? I mean, um, you know, I, I looked at, I looked at the, uh, the numbers. Uh, you know, we were a very different company. Um, it started really as a consultancy for me, you know, where I was um, basically doing most of the programming myself. I was building teams around, you know, small projects. It was, um, it was more just a way not to have a real job, to be honest. <laughs> I uh, get that. To, um, I'm guilty. To go work for someone else. Yeah. Uh, you know, an entrepreneur is somebody's prepared to um, uh, work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. Right. For someone so, else, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think that, that I fell into that category of mm -hmm. uh, do anything to just work for myself. Um, and I think that's because sometimes if you're, if you're creative, if, you're, if you have a broad set of skills, it's very difficult for you to imagine fitting into anywhere else. And, um, and I, got, I got pretty lucky uh, mm. in, in the start of my entrepreneurial career. I sold um, a small company earlier on in my early twenties and then went eventually to back to grad school and moved around the world a little bit, but ended up at an investment bank thinking that's what I wanted to do. And uh, when one of the, were two of the big four accounting firms came to uh, headhunt me, I went to the principal and I said, Hey, do you have any advice? Which one of these two giant companies should I go work for? And he said, well, you should go start your own company. Mm. And I said, uh, I would love to, but I haven't really kept a whole lot of that money that I made from that first sale. It was, it was very small exit, just enough to mm -hmm. you know buy a car and move to Japan and all this other stupid stuff I did. And he said, "Well, no, no, you know, I'll give you the money. I'll, you should go work for you. Should you should be working for yourself?" And um, what was going through of, your what was going through your mind at that moment when he said that that he wanted um, to invest in you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's a it's good for the ego, but it's also, um, it's scary because you're out of excuses, right? Mm. Like, um, uh, normally the, an ex to go and work for a big company in a, in a safe environment is, you know, it, it can be problematic. You might not like it. It might be soul sucking. You might learn a lot from it. You might, um, find it incredibly supportive, but, um, to go out on your own is very scary. Mm -hmm. And if somebody says, well, one of your excuses is that you don't have enough padding or funding to go and do it. And somebody removes that for you. The only other excuse you have is, well, I'm kind of scared there you um, go. or I'm, or, or I don't believe that I can do it. So, mm. uh, you know, it's a mixture between being, uh, being terrified and being, uh, feeling very proud. So what, what was the dominant one there? Was it the, the being scared being fearful of what that looks like, or was it just the lack of uh, confidence in yourself that you could do it? Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it was, it was either of those specifically. I would say that um, 
and I'm not saying it's about fear of failure. It's just if if you're going to take someone's money, if you're going to go out there and and um, and try and build something with it, it's almost fear of disappointing them. You know, mm-hmm. I, worst comes to worst, I can go get a job somewhere else, right? Um, sure. I am. Um, I think I'm reasonably employable, uh, but uh, uh, that, that that fear of disappointing somebody who's put your, their faith in you is that's a big deal. It's also a great driver, don't you think? Yeah, it's a huge driver. Because when you want to quit, when you wanted to give up, like you think, shoot, they invested in me. I can't quit. I can't give up. I gave my word. I gave my commitment. Yeah, there's a downside to that too, which is um, there have been situations now in my life since where um, now we've invested in other companies and um, you know, we've, we've started little side spinoffs and things like that, which were funded. And sometimes without money, sometimes with my money, sometimes with other people's money and um, taking on some sort of funding and then actually going to be successful um, or even getting it, getting through your first two years, you know, those are small odds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time um, you will end up not making the correct decision, which is to cut your losses and move on because you have that fear of disappointing somebody. And, um, you know, uh, it, I've had a hard conversation with a couple of people that we've given money to, to say, you know, I knew the risks going in, uh, this wasn't a loan. This wasn't, um, a mutual fund. I knew what I was doing. You need to understand that as well and walk away from this. It is, um, it's not going to work. Uh, we made mistakes or we didn't understand what was going on or whatever yeah. it was. We should learn from those failures and we should sometimes just walk away. But it, and yeah, that, that same fear can be, a driver to, to actually point you in the wrong direction. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of small odds, right? As far as uh, building successful companies, right? Why do you think that 90% of entrepreneurs are struggling to make it to that first 100K milestone? Oof. <laughs> um, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, you know, it depends on uh, the kind of business. If, if you're, I mean, tech startups are really, um, my wheelhouse, so I can speak a little bit more to them. Sure. Um, uh, and market fit is really tough for those for for those kind of businesses. Um, having a good idea is easy. Executing is harder, is significantly harder because um, you know trying to go out and build something, build a tool, build a service that that can scale and works well is mm-hmm. tricky. But even more tricky than that is some of these businesses are so new. Some of the kind of the ideas behind what you're trying to sell never existed before. And as a result, it's really tough to go out and uh, find a good market fit. And, you know, I, I read something about, um, you know, some of these big um, Silicon Valley guys who have raised tons of money and, and then what they've, uh, you know, they kind of, maybe they got lucky on the first round, but on the second round, um, they've, some of them have spent two years on market validation before they start the business. Two years. Mm. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I don't think I could just quit doing everything I'm doing to go and spend two years and try to work out a good market product fit. Um, and then still have time and energy left over to go and execute on that. So, you know, I, I think that in, in my space, it's really, really tough to find mm. um, a scalable product that you can that you can sell or even a service uh, that is going to really resonate with a particular 
audience, especially. So let me ask you. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, Greg, right? There's, there's two schools of thought here in what you're bringing up, in my opinion, right? The first school of thought is go create an idea and then go find the market fit around that product, which as you're saying in the tech space can take two freaking years, right? Yeah. That's time you'll never get back, right? And that's with the hope that you're going to find a great market fit. And then there's the other school of thought, which is go find the audience, the people that you want to work with, and then ask them what they're struggling with, what they're suffering with, create products around those that they're willing to pay for. Yeah. Which do you think is the better approach and why really quickly? So um, the, the, the one thing that I did not think would work was the way kind of um, uh, Bloomberg did, sold his first Bloomberg machines, right? Which is, um, I read his uh, uh, biography, autobiography, and um, was like, there's no way this will work. Cause he said he went to um, a bunch of guys and he said, Hey, I've got this, this is the box that I'm going to build. Um, would you like to buy one? I'm taking pre-orders. And he got a whole bunch of people to say, yes, he had nothing. He had no product. Um, uh, and then use the money, the pre-order money to go and build a thing, uh, which is pretty ballsy and impressive. Right. Um, so, a few years after reading that, I, we had another little startup that we were running and I thought, okay, well, fine, let's give that a shot. And so it was going to be a restaurant ordering system. So we went to um, 10, 15 restaurants, uh, demoed kind of some stuff on paper for them. And like seven or eight of them said yes. And then I kind of sucked up my pride, sucked in my pride. And I said, well, we're taking pre-orders right now. Um, uh, you know, it's only going to be X amount of thousand dollars to pre-order this. And they said, yes. I mean, uh, so basically what we had was validation from the, from the industry we we're in um, for a product that we wanted to build. And as a result, we were able to get cash up front. Um, I don't know how common that is, but if you can do that, that is, that's the way to go. I love that. Right. And it I've, I've heard this saying before is your clients, uh, especially your early adopters are your best investors yeah. rather than going and getting outside capital. And then you're on the hook, right. And you're in debt and you have that commitment and that monkey on your back, so to speak, go out and ask the customers, what do you want? Like, here's an idea I have. Would you pay for it? And then when they say yes, like Greg said, startup nation, ask him for the pre-order. Like, go yeah. for it. If they're not willing to pull out their credit card, don't believe that they, that's what they want, right? Because that's what it is. Are, are they put, willing to put skin in the game? If they give you the yes, the pat on the back, that sounds great. That's awesome. Sure, I would want one. Great. We're taking pre-orders. It's X amount of thousands of dollars. Are you ready? Are you in? Absolutely, yeah. Like, if they say yes, run with that product. You already have market validation. Now just scale it. What do you want to add to that, Greg? Well, I mean... When I was looking at the, um, the, our numbers from our first $100,000 that we, we did in revenue, um, the one thing I noticed was lots and lots and lots of clients, um, you know, just tons of small projects. I think our, um, the, uh, the mean when I ran it, the, uh, the uh, you know, of the, whole, the average of the whole thing was something like, I don't know, it was like $145. Um, you know, most of, most of that was because we were breaking up, you know, a thousand dollar bill into 10 installments and then hosting fees and, you know, just like craziness where it's way easier to go and get, you know, um, 
a medium-sized company to write you a twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar check um, for something that it is to get um, you know ten small companies to write you a five hundred dollar check, uh, and that kind of mentality also um, takes a while to kick in. It, it, it's it, and that, I think that's why you see a lot of service companies eventually, if successful service companies will pivot at a later point into a, being a product company because of what they've been able to do is use that their service clients as their initial investors slash padding slash market validation at the, all at the same time. I get that. So Startup Nation, what Greg just dropped right there was a big wisdom explosion, right? It takes the same amount of effort to go land the big high paying clients that it does to get to, to take on all the volume of all these little nickels and dime type clients. And Greg, what showed up for me in my own personal weirdness is a personal example in my dating life. I realized, right? And, and you already just got the bridge that I just built, right? But Startup Nation, like I used to show up and do all this work to attract girls that I wasn't even that highly attracted to. But I realized it takes the same amount of effort to go over to that one girl who's like a, that 10, that supermodel that I want to date. It, it almost took less work to go and speak with her rather than all these girls that were like sixes and sevens. And I hope that doesn't offend any of your females out there, but it's, it's the same thing in the startup space. Go for your ideal. Just go for it. Ask, put down your pride. Like Greg did get humble, ask for the pre-order and sometimes you'll get it. It's fantastic. So Greg, I want to go back to the struggle really quick. We're going to spend about five minutes on this. Take us back to year one. You just started source toad. You're struggling to meet payroll. You're pulling money out of your, <laughs> your wedding fund, your marriage fund. Um, just the, the humiliation, the, uh, the humbleness, the uh, vulnerability as a man, as a guy to, to have to do that. Take us back to that time in this business. Uh, paint us a vivid picture and tell us that story. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it really wasn't, um, uh, as hard peril wise in the first year, because I had so few people, you know, I had um, a contractor or two, and then, um, you know, one or two full-time employees over the first, you know, maybe three at the highest point before it made that first hundred K. None of us were making a lot of money, obviously. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do when you, um, you have uh, student loans for, two master's degrees and you're making $30,000 a year, right? <laughs> so Got it. Um, uh, that's tricky, especially when you're being offered jobs um, on, the other con on the other coast for, hey, come work for us. I mean, starting salary would be 250 a year. It's like, oh God, what am I doing? <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, even to this day, I still, still kind of wonder if I made the right decision. Um, what kept you in it? What kept you in the mud, in the game, when you're, you have that temptation to go make 250000 a year working for someone else on the other coast? Um, I think, you know, I moved around a lot. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in South Africa. I moved here with my, my parents after my first year of uh, college. And um, uh, then after I sold my first business, went to move to Japan for a long time. Uh, and... I think a big, a big thing for me was staying close to my friends and family after 
you know, building a life here in the States um, and not wanting to have to kind of redo that mm. all over again. That was mm -hmm. a big, that was a big um, part of it. And I think the other part of it was, to be honest, some bloody mindedness, some just sheer being stubborn, which mm. is um, you don't want to, to quit. Um, mm. Um, and I'm not saying in some sort of heroic way. I'm just saying almost a pathology. Um, so so let, know, so let me dive into that for a second, right? Because earlier in the show, you said that you invest in companies where sometimes you look in objectively and you say, hey, this isn't working. We both uh, knew what we were getting into. We took a risk. Now it's time hey, to just let it go. How did you know that it wasn't that scenario? How did you know to push through and stick it out and that you would win? don't confuse um what i say as what i would want to do right my my advice is is from only from learning lessons the hard way it's never um and even sometimes the lessons that i have learned i still don't um, ever put it to practice so um you know do as i say not as i do is 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 a lot it's it's a lot easier it's, it's also easier when it's not you in the business day to day as you're an outsider kind of giving um, advice to a young startup or um, a new new entrepreneur, uh, it is a lot easier to say, well, I made this mistake, don't make it. And, mm. you know, surprisingly, about 50% of them take the advice. Um, the other 50% eventually just make the same mistakes you do and, and learn that way. Got it. So uh, bring me back to that question, right? How did you know that you needed to stick with it and not quit? How did you know it was going to work? I didn't. I didn't, I honestly didn't know if it was going to work or not. Um, I, I had, you know, safety in my fallback plans, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a millennial, but I'm, I'm, uh, uh close in age to, to millennials. So like worst comes to absolute worst. I could have moved in with, back in with mom and dad and, um, uh, and started all over again with a, with a safety blanket. I think really, um, what, you know, you're, you're, I want to say you're afraid of failure, but there's, you know, America is a, is a country that really rewards risk-taking and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, most countries that I've lived in, uh, you know, if you're out doing something super risky, people question you a lot of the time saying, why are you doing that? Well, I mean, there's, there's not as much upside um, from a cultural standpoint to, to actually go out and, and take these risks because you might be, putting your family at risk, you know, mm. you might be um, not doing, you, you might not be doing something that is good for uh, the culture at large. You're, you're, you're focusing, you're kind of being selfish. You're focusing on you building something that you can then generate all the reward from the risk that you, you, you've created. And um, so there's a huge amount of like, like positive feedback in America culturally and socially for for people who go out and take risks so there is to some degree that fear of failure because it's, it'd be a reduction in status it would be a you know uh, could be humiliating um and also you start to tie your self-worth up into it and say one of the things that makes me who i am mm. is what i do for a living and if i'm the boss and i i built this then that's a huge part of who you are and you, you kind of don't want to let that go. It's tough. Mm. I see that as a two-edged sword. You know, sometimes that can really help you to stick to something that is going to work, 
It just needs more grit, more effort, more time. And then the other side of the, the blade, the sword, is that it keeps you in it too long when you should have let go of it because it's not actually going to work. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there is kind of um, a hidden positive in there, which is um, that it really takes um, you screwing up a lot before you learn to do what you do, to do well. Right. So, um, you know, the people say fail fast. That was great. Fine. Fail fast. Screw you, man. Like I, I have, I have only failed really slowly and tragically <laughs> over time. I mean, um, same. I, I so resonate with that. It's, so, it's a nice sound bite though. Yeah. I have, uh, I've run a couple of companies into the ground, um, before I've, I've, um, done things on my taxes, which I thought were fine. Um, because of revenue coming in, I was going to be able to pay them. And uh, because of a con- because a contract not being drawn up the right way, uh, ended up losing my car. Um, mm. I have, I have um, uh, gone into situations that um, could have ended in like a lawsuit uh, because I didn't um, enforce some piece of a contract or I didn't force my client to sign a contract. So, you know, every single one of those little lessons you can't learn that in an, in an MBA. Um, you can't learn it in an in a entrepreneurship degree. You, you mm. can't learn that really from reading books and you can't learn it in working for an enterprise company. Those are skills that y- you don't get anywhere else. The only way you can learn those skills is by going out and starting something and then making the mistakes. I love and, that. What shows up for me is the Mike Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until you get hit. Yeah. Right? You got to step in the ring to see the punches coming at you. You can't just talk about it from outside of the ring. It's yeah. totally a different vantage point, would you say? Absolutely. Um, and like I said, I, I, I don't think I've ever learned an easy lesson in my life. So, um. <laughs> welcome, welcome to humanity, bro. All right, so let's get into superpowers. I talk about this on the show a lot, Greg. Like, what is that one superpower that if you stop doing everything else, like this is the thing you're made for, you naturally shine at with just some practice, you become the expert in, and you got to outsource everything else in your company. And when you started doing that, stuff started to work. What's your superpower, Greg? Um, well, I know what my superpowers aren't. I am, I am not the best programmer in my company. I'm actually the worst programmer probably now in the company. Everybody else is, everybody else is by far a better program than I am. So let me, let me pause you right there. So startup nation. Did you hear what Greg just said right there? He is the CEO and founder of a really successful programming company, and he is the worst programmer in his company. Like you well, yeah. don't have to be an expert at the very thing that is your core product. You just got to create a team of experts around you. Please continue, Greg, on your superpower. <laughs> so I think that um, one thing is knowing what you're good at and, what thing, and knowing what you're not as good at and then hiring people um, who, will, who, are, who are better than you. Um, the worst thing I see all the time is people hiring uh, people who they think they can control or they can, you know, keep an eye on, or they're not going to take their job or whatever. I try and hire people that would, um, be able to eat my lunch all day long. That's, that's, that, that's it. Um, I think that, I think that the, the two things that I'm really good at doing is I'm, I'm good at, uh, talking to very smart people 
and being able to communicate that to everybody else in the world. Like I, I'm, I'm, Got it. I'm reasonably conversational to almost everybody. I'm mm-hmm. uh, relatively upbeat and happy. And, and um, if you want to talk about sports or um, your kids or whatever it is, I'm happy to chat. I'm, I'm a chatty guy. Um, but if you also want to talk about, um, you know, uh, the high level complexities of, of, uh, data of asynchronous data transfer and like large scale replicating databases, you know, I have a pretty decent background in that stuff. And I can, I can actually, um, give a fair amount of input into things like design architecture and, um, systems analysis, because I just did it for a long time. Um, and it's probably not my favorite thing in the world to do, but, um, the, I really like bridging those two worlds of, Mm. um, the, the highly technical and then the, like the very, very big picture. I, I enjoy straddling that and explaining it to people. So to clarify what I'm hearing you say, Greg, is your superpower is you are the master communicator, master translator in your space, in your company. Yeah. Is that correct? I think that's very, I've got an analogy for about every single piece of technolo- technological like, um, uh, system out there. Listen, one of the number one reasons why companies fail is because of poor communication. Right. Yeah. So if you're the massive communicator right there, that's the winning superpower. I love it. It's fantastic. So Startup Nation, what is your superpower? I challenge you all the time with this question. What is that superpower? That one thing, get to that as fast as humanly possible, outsource everything else. Sometimes it takes time. Year one, you're doing a lot of all the rest. We got it. Right. But how fast can you get there? That's where your business is going to start to win. That's where your life is going to start to shine. Greg, take us, um, what was the number one fear that really messed with your head back then in the early stages of this company? Mm. Um, I think, I think it was probably, um, getting actual product out the door. Um, you know, for almost my entire career, I've been work for hire and, so you have to go and you have to talk to a client, you have to sell them on the idea of you building something for them. And then you have to actually go and produce the goods. You know, you, uh, you know, in the early days, you get like a three or $4,000 check, which is, um, uh, was a lot of money back then. And now you've got to go and produce a, you know, a payroll system or, uh, insurance coding tool or whatever was we were building in the early days. Um, and as a result, you are, because you're kind of thinking small and you're kind of hiring small in some ways, or you're outsourcing to, um, you know, less, uh, costly resources. Um, you don't have enough time to, uh, and there's only one of you, you don't have enough time for like quality control. You don't have, um, enough time to read over every line of code. Got it. You can't, you know, you're not a hundred percent sure about every single thing that's going on because there's just too much for one or two people to do. Mm-hmm. And so you're terrified about, especially as a software engineer, ter- you're terrified about something going into a client's hands. They start using it. You're like, oh, this is this is okay because they don't know any better. And then it turns out that it's actually a pile of crap. That what you've sold is, um, that is that something you've done is not good. That that idea of, um, I really want to put something that's quality out the door, but um, in the early days, it was really hard to do that with, you know. You had six clients, you, you're acting as project manager and lead architect on all six, and you got an assistant and then a bunch of like outsourced guys. It's, it's just, just terrified that something's going to get hacked or that, um, you know, you haven't, you haven't done all the due diligence and 
that's why I would just, I think I would spend probably a hundred hours a week working um, to, to get, you know, just to like make sure that things were going out the door. Got it. Startup Nation, are, do you have the same fear that Greg had that your product is not going to meet the client expectation? Or even if it does meet the client expectation, their expectation is so low that they're actually happy about getting a crappy yeah. product? Like, is that your number one fear right now? Like, and, and what I would say is this, if that is your number one fear, here's what you do about it. As fast as humanly possible, make your product suck less right? First get your products going to suck in the beginning, right? Because your budget sucks, right? And with a low budget, you get low talent, right? I think that's what I'm hearing you say, Greg, right? Yeah. So you only can afford a certain level of talent as fast as humanly possible. Like first off, accept it's going to suck. It's not going to be great, but good enough is good enough sometimes. Get it out the door, make more money, hire better talent and constantly iterate, iterate and make it suck less. Before you know it, you'll be where Greg is, your $5 million company, your products freaking rock, your industry wants it, they're willing to pay top dollar. That's what I want for you, Startup Nation. Greg, what was the best advice you've ever received in business, in this business? Um, that sometimes in life, there are just people that you have to cut off. I know you got to cuddle? Cut off. Oh, cut off. <laughs> totally different than cuddle. Yeah. Right. And, and I know that's terrible, but, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you know, in your life, there's people who are um, toxic or mm. uh, who are, um, you know, just difficult to be around or make the same mistakes over and over again. And if, yeah. if you know, not nobody on the planet has so many friends that they don't want to, you know, they don't want any new friends. They don't want personal relationships. No, nobody, nobody is, uh, you know, thinking, Oh, you know, I have too many friends. So, so letting employees or, or friendships or relationships you have in some way go is tough mm. for everybody. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I just recently heard this, right. And I, and I've applied it in my own life. Right. So, what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is, listen, sometimes look at the relationships in your life, especially in your business and say, is this working or is it not working? Yeah. Right? It's that simple. Take out all the emotions, all the feelings. Is it working? Is it not working? So you don't have to make people wrong about it. And I have done this as well, Greg, like taking years of not cutting off someone in my business that was not working yeah. and constantly cuddling them instead of cutting them off, right? And it, it, I paid the freaking price for it. And that's what I'm hearing you say. And like, this is so powerful to really just get that. Is it working, is it not working? What do you do with it? So here's the strategy, Startup Nation, I've learned. It's kind of like a relationship and I'm gonna keep tying this into relationships because if your personal life isn't working, your business isn't gonna work, right? So like in personal relationships, I used to end my dating relationships the same way, the typical guy approach. I would end the relationship and break up with the girl and it would leave them with their heart torn out and I was just not a good human being, right? And, and, and I would just move on and cut them off and that left them incomplete. And what I learned was this and it wasn't, too long ago, I started implementing this. And now I'm friends with my last three girlfriends. Like for the first time in my life, I have good friendships with these girls I dated because I didn't have to break up with them. What I did is I did a, what's called a completion and creation conversation with them. And I believe you could do this in your business. Greg, tell me what shows up for you in this, right? So completion and creation, you sit down with the person, you say, listen, we're not ending anything. 
We're just completing this part of our relationship because it's not working. Now let's talk about creating what our relationship looks like going forward. And that may look like you not being in the company anymore, right? Yeah. So let's, let's create that. What shows up for you in that? Well, I mean, I think that, um, uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but um, it's always kind of stuck with me, which is that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So um, if those people are your coworkers and your family and whatever, if you, and it, it's strikingly true. Um, if I think about the five people I spend the most time with, uh, yeah, I kind of start to become an amalgamation of those five people. Um, and everyone's got a different five people. So you got to choose those people really carefully. You got to choose them for, you got to choose people whom you want to be like, you know, um, you want to, and, and that can often mean um, spending less time with people who are, you know, less like what you want to be. I don't know. I mean, it, it's a, it's a sensitive subject because you always kind of think that you are the defining aspect of yourself, but you're not. It's really about who you choose to spend time with. It's about, uh, you know, what you choose to read. It's about um, how you choose to uh, spend your time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so mm -hmm. the, those, those core five people and what you create with them uh, is, is extremely important and is, you know, can be, when you actually look at it, honestly, it can be very, very difficult. You, you can have to have a conversation with yourself and say, Am I creating the right kind of person in myself mm. by spending time with this person or by keeping this person um, uh, as an employee? Whereas, uh, or another slightly more positive way to look at it is, you know what? I really like that guy. Um, we should spend more time together because I think there's a lot I can learn from him. Um, or, you know, I really want to, um, you know, my my girlfriend is a really like warm person and I'm not as warm as I can be. I'm going to spend more time and try to learn about that from her. So you know, mm. everybody, everybody around you is, is, is a potential teacher and a mm -hmm. potential influencer. And so just pick good people. Mm, I love it. So startup nation, uh, Greg is just dropping the wisdom here, right? This is so powerful. The five people around you, you are going to be impacted by, you're going to be influenced by your environment. So choose your environment wisely because it's not biased. Negative people will influence you negatively. Positive people will influence you positively. You might as well choose positive people around you in your circle. Greg, share with us one of your daily habits that helped you to break through the 100K milestone. Um, well, I think the, the, the two things that helped me a lot um, for um, growing the business eventually were uh, trying to fire myself from little jobs more and more every day. So um, I'm doing better job. I'm doing 10 years later, I do a better job these days, but um, at the end of every quarter, I write down all my responsibilities and I try and pick two that I'm going to get rid of. Mm, um, the more that. and more I can, the more and more I can focus on strategy, um, client success and um you know building my people and the less time i spend on project management or accounting or whatever whatever kind of like day-to-day -day jobs that i should actually not be doing um that's better for me it's better for the company so um that habit of trying to at least kill one thing that you're doing every quarter or every year whatever it is is um is extremely useful and so it's a it's a good habit i've picked up um the other one, which uh, really helped me 
uh, in the early days, but I have since stopped doing, was um, uh, a, a two-cycle workday, um, which is a really horrific thing that I did, but um, it worked very well, which was I would um, spend the first part of the day working in one location, my house, or um, in the, when I had an office in the office, um, and I would work from 9 a.m. till, I don't know, 5 p.m. or something like that. Then I take a break. I go do something like uh, play squash or go to the gym or play video games or just do something for an hour that wasn't work. And then I would go to my second office. And then around maybe seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and I would work um, by myself uh, for another six hours, which is it's not healthy, right? Because normally a, a cafe or something like that. Um, and I would, I would go and I would put in um, another six, another, another full day at the office, but not in the office. And that was a way that I could, I scaled my business by just working twice as hard as everyone else was prepared to work. And I don't do that anymore. I mean, once in a while, I, 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 I do it just because I'm, you know, I, I want to get my email cleared out or whatever it is. But um, that, you know, I did that for almost a year and a half that um, splitting the workday or almost two years and splitting the workday into um, two parts and just, you know, mm. outworking my competition. Uh, uh, you know, can you do that forever? No, you'll kill yourself. But, you know, I was 10 years younger. And, exactly. Um, and a lot so, what hungrier, I, so. so what I'm hearing you say is all those uh, millennials out there, right? All you 20 somethings who are listening to the show right now, now is the time in your life when you have the energy, you have the drive. What you don't have is the wisdom and experience, right? That just comes with time for all of us. So trust Greg's wisdom right now. Put in the time, right? This is like Grant Cardone saying 10x like your work hours, right? That's what Greg did. He split his life, took a break in the middle, and then 10x it by putting in, you know, seven more hours or whatever into his work day, and he outworked his competition. Powerful stuff. Greg, let's close the show on this. What is the one thing you want Startup Nation to know right now about building a successful business? Uh, start today. Um... The, the sooner you start your first one, it's easy. You can go file some paperwork and go and try and do whatever it is, build something on your own, build it with a group of friends. But the sooner you start, the sooner you'll make those mistakes, the sooner you can learn from those mistakes, the sooner you can build your better second company. Fantastic. Startup Nation, we are listening with Greg Ross Monroe. He is the CEO and founder at Sourcetoad. You can find him at sourcetoad.com. He built his company from zero to over 5 million in revenue. He's about to double this year. It took him 10 years. There's no way around putting in the time, putting in the work. There is no quick fix. There's only work hard, right? That's what it looks like. Greg, this is my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. This is where I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. First thing that comes to you. Are you ready, sir? Gotcha. Ready. Greg, what's your favorite sound? Oh, uh, guitar. What's your least favorite sound? Um, the the, the uh, chopsticks on the bottom of like a, of a, a, a dumburi pot, which is, I know it's a very strange thing, but I really hate that sound. Got it. Probably from your years in Japan. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, a special effects makeup artist. Got that. What are you most afraid of? Ooh, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, 
lawyers. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> For all my attorneys listening to the show, that was not personal. Just deal with it. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? Oh, smoking hookah. <laughs> Got it. What secret fear do you have about people? Oh, uh, that they don't like me. Got that. That's very human. What do you wish you had learned sooner in this business? Uh, have a contract for everything. Got that. What's a new habit you want to form? Mm, um, uh, doing drills on the squash court on at least twice a week. What's a uh, new habit you want to break or an old habit you want to break? Bad habit. Ooh, um, smoking hookah once a week. <laughs> Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Um, uh, bouncy, um, warm, and sometimes scary. Pick three words to describe who you were your first year in business. Uh, overworked, panicked, and um, sarcastic. Startup Nation, did Greg just describe you? Imagine sometime in the distant future, Greg, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Um, here lies Greg Ross Monroe. Uh, he specifically asked not to be buried, so the joke is on you. <laughs> Got it. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you tell them? Mm. Um, no. I have no idea. I mean, I'm not dead yet. Uh, I, I'm, I, you, you told me not to overthink it, but I, I, I'm, I don't have if a choice. You, it, if you had that one thing, that one piece of advice for their life, for their existence, why they're here, whatever, what is that one thing you would want to share, for, share with them? Um, spend your time the way you want to spend your time. I mean, you know, do what, do what you enjoy. Um, you, you can be as selfish as you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Got it. So Startup Nation, we are speaking with Greg Monroe. Greg, what's the best way for our audience to get in touch with you if they choose? Um, you can get in contact with me through our website. It's uh, sourcetoad.com. And uh, you can always hit me up on Twitter at GregDRM. Got it. And last piece of wisdom that you want to share. What do you got? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, thank you very much for, for having me on. Um, uh, the one piece of wisdom I would say is that, you know, hard work is, is really, really important. Um, but it's not the most important thing. Um, the most important thing is like having intention behind what you're actually trying to do. Um, if you, mm. if you don't have a, like, if you don't go into every single situation, every single meeting, every single work session, not knowing what you want to get out of it, um, you're just going to spin your wheels. Love it. Greg, thanks for joining us today. And I wish you peace, love, and your next 100K. Thank you very much, sir. You Good got it. You. Startup Nation, we exceeded our six-month goal. We now have listeners in over 34 countries and growing. I want to double it. I want to hit 60 countries. We're changing lives. We're doing it by helping them make their first 100K so that they can have that time with your family. Do the things you want. Choose the life with intention that Greg is talking about. Go to first100k.com. Be a partner in my show. Help me reach 60 countries and transform lives. I am Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless.